Good morning, church family. So who did you like, uh, want to be like when you were younger? Who around you did you look up to, admire, and want to emulate? All of us, as we're growing up, we're kind of looking up to people, athletes, actors, maybe some family members, trying to figure out who we're going to be and what our life is going to be like. I suppose for me, in my formative teen years, I wanted to have the basketball skills of Larry Bird. Combine that with the guitar playing ability and singing like James Taylor. And have all the charisma of Tom Selleck. <laughs> Not to mention that way cool mustache he could grow. And who was it for you? Perhaps you were lucky enough to have a, a mother or a father, a grandpa or a grandma that you could look up to, and you wanted to be like them. When I gave my life to the Lord at age 16, then I wanted to be like Jesus. So I read the Bible, looking for clues on how I should live, the things I should say, how I should spend my time, what I should be doing. And that endeavor has never ended. As a believer in Jesus Christ, all of us, we're trying to figure out, and it's a day-by-day, day, if not moment-by-moment moment thing that we're doing. How do we come? How do we become more like Jesus? How do we become more like him? And so uh, that's what we're calling our first series of 2013, as Ron mentioned, Like Jesus. We're going to look at being like Jesus. And we're going to look at him, becoming like him in our habits and our prayer and our serving and many more areas. So it makes sense then that the first attribute we're going to look at is to be like Jesus in our attitude. You know, I like the word attitude. It has a little kick to it, a little punch. It's got a little something, something there. Like uh, you may hear it in a, more of a negative sense, like, man, you got some attitude. Or, or a parent with a child. Don't give me any of your attitude. Well, I've been hanging around with my almost three-year-old granddaughter. Check out this picture. I know a little something about attitude. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I really like it. Like, she is just spunky. And attitude uh, can also be positive, like, hey, nice attitude. Attitude is defined as a personal view of something, an opinion or a general feeling about something. If you're looking for synonyms about attitude, you might come up with things like the frame of mind, or your approach, or point of view, and even the word belief. So our attitude shapes how we see the world and how we interact with others. Today we're going to be taking a look at Philippians chapter 2 to figure out how to have an attitude like Jesus. But let me set the context for a moment. The writer of this short book is the Apostle Paul. And he's writing from prison. So as you can imagine, he's facing quite an uncertain future. And he wants to take this opportunity. He loves his friends. He is so committed to the church at Philippi. And he realizes that perhaps he has one last time, one last time to share something with him. The trivial things must be set aside now. And only the absolute most important truth should come forward. Think about that for a minute. What if this was you? What if you were the one that was facing an uncertain future? 
and you thought, I've got one last time to share with my family, my loved ones, maybe the community, well, what would you want to tell them? Would you tell them that you loved them? Would you perhaps try to convince them to stop bickering and fighting with each other and be able to get along better? Would you try to inspire these people one last time to become more like Jesus? Those are all the things Paul wanted to do. In his letter, he wanted to share with them all those things one last time. Philippians is often called the book of joy. And I think Paul also wanted to share with his friends in the church the great joy they could have as they become like Jesus and especially as they learn how to serve him in their daily life. Some of you may have heard of this guy. His name's Randy Posh. He was a professor of computer science at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And Randy learned that he had pancreatic cancer in September of 2006. And in August of 2007, he was given a terminal diagnosis, three to six months of good health left. So he went to his college, and he gave an upbeat lecture titled, The Last Lecture, Really Achieving Your Childhood Dreams. It became a very popular YouTube video, and and he set out doing some uh, media appearances and events. Ultimately, he co-authored a book called The Last Lecture around this same theme, and it became a New York Times bestseller. In this lecture, he realized that he had one last opportunity, one last chance, one shot at telling his loved ones and the world what he thought was most important in life. Here's a few quotes from the book. He says, the key question to keep asking is this, are you spending your time on the right things? Because time is all you have. Then he goes on very shortly after that and says this, time is all you have. And you may find one day that you have less than you think. Randy died of complications from his cancer on July 25th of 2008. Fortunately for us, the world did not end on December 22nd, as was predicted. So we have some more time, at least for now. And so we're going to take a look at the Apostle Paul's last lecture and see how he would want us to spend that time. Let me read to you Philippians 2, 1 and 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Paul starts our section we're going to be looking at today by posing four questions. Um, But Philippians 2, chapter 1, and some other versions, starts with the word therefore. So I had to ask, what are these four questions therefore? So in the section right before this, in our scripture, the the Apostle Paul has just challenged uh, the church to live lives worthy of Jesus. He shares with them that the world is against them, For those that call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, the world is against them. But together, together they can overcome. He tells them in chapter 1, verse 29, it's a privilege to suffer. Why would he say that? Suffering, he goes on to say, for the sake of Jesus is a gift. It's a gift. When we suffer, we can find Jesus in the midst of it. That he 
will comfort us. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount states that when he says, those who mourn, they will be comforted. When we suffer, we bond together. As Paul says in that part, he says, we are in this struggle together. My anatomy teacher used to say it well. On the first day of our class of anatomy, she said, get to know each other in here because misery loves company. And it's true that when the hard times come, we can bond together and we can make it through. So with that understanding of what had gone on previously, now Paul's going to talk about life within the church, life within the body of believers. And he starts by asking these four powerful questions. He simply wants to know if their new life in Christ is worth it. Now there's some fill-ins. We're not going to do those quite yet. Just hang on to that. I want you to listen quickly to these four questions. He says, are they encouraged by following Jesus? Are they being comforted in their pain? Are they experiencing fellowship with others? And are their hearts changing and becoming more tender and compassionate towards people? He says, well, listen, if that's the case, if you can answer yes to any of those, if this is the case, and then he goes on, and I just read it, he challenges his friends, the church, to become one, to be united by agreeing with each other, by loving each other and working together toward one single purpose. Listen to this. This is really important. Paul's church is our church. You get that? Paul's church is our church. We don't read the Bible to find out about old churches or the early church. We read the Bible to find out about our church. We read the Bible to find out what did it mean for the original hearers then, and now what does that mean for me right now? So when Paul is going to go on and he's going to address the body of believers in the church, he is speaking to us. Paul's church is our church. So take out your message notes. And, and, and Paul, I believe, wanted people to think about those questions for a moment. I don't think he just rattled them off. I think, I think when people read that, there was the idea that you would reflect for just a moment on these to see where you stand with your God and with your faith. So I'm going to do the same thing. When sin and temptation come to this world, they're led by Satan and they attack you. How do you stand firm because of your faith? Has your faith made a difference in your life? So I'm going to read the question, then I'm just going to give you a couple seconds. I want you to think about it for just a moment. Question number one that Paul asked. Have you been encouraged? That's the first fill-in in the blank if you're using your message notes. Fill-in encouraged. Have you been encouraged in your walk with Jesus? In other words, has a personal relationship with Jesus given you strength to go on when you found no other strength? Think about that question for just a minute. Question number two. Paul says, when difficult times come, have you found comfort in Jesus' love? Have you been able to feel God's presence in those times when you needed comfort? Think about that. Question three, Paul asks, have you experienced true fellowship with family and friends that support you? I would say, has our church family or a small group been there for you 
when you needed us to be. Think about fellowship. Paul's last question, number four. Are you compassionate towards others? Are you compassionate towards others? When you look at the world with all its pain and its suffering and the lost who don't know about God, have you become hardened to it all? Or do you find yourself more compassionate, feeling pain with those people? Compassion goes just beyond that feeling, though. Compassion is love that is infused with some action. In fact, compassion demands that we do something with our sympathy. So what Paul is asking them is, does your life in Christ push you to be more compassionate? Does your life in Christ push you to want to help others? Think about that last question for just a minute. I guarantee that if you asked our leader, if you asked Pastor Ron, what it would take to make him truly happy in our church, just as Paul had said in this chapter, that he would wholeheartedly agree with what Paul says next. In verse 3, he says, okay, if you call yourself a believer, if you can answer yes to some of those four questions, then he says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take also an interest in others. On, on Christmas Day, I uh, drove to San Jose uh, to visit family, and I, I, we drove down and back in one day, and I was in a vehicle with my son-in-law and my wife and two of my daughters and two of my granddaughters, one of which you've already met. And it had been a long day. We're on our way home. It's pouring rain. We're out on a freeway. I am doing my very best to be a really, really good, cautious driver. And all of a sudden, Lila, who's my nine-month-old granddaughter, had realized she'd had enough. That car seat was not going to be good anymore. And so she began to whimper and cry and scream. And she screamed and she screamed. And so all of a sudden, the whole feeling of the vehicle changed from everybody doing their own thing and being casual and, and, and just hanging out. All of a sudden, there was this focus. The focus went right to Lila. And we began to tell stories and we tried to feed her. She was inconsolable. We sang Christmas carols over and over and over again. I, we, I, people were making funny faces at her. I'd have gone up and done a monkey dance if it would have helped. I'd have done anything I could to try and calm this poor little girl down who'd had enough of that car seat. And about that time, Jade, who is uh, almost three years old, she goes, Papa, I have to go potty. Okay, now I know that maybe for some of you, you're thinking, what's the big deal? No, no, no. If you know a kid that's, uh, you know, two and a half to three years old, this request to use a bathroom isn't a, hey, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes down the road, whenever you can get to it. Let's just figure it out. No, no, no. This is Papa. We're talking now. And so I quickly scanned the freeway. I took the first exit through the rain into the dark, hoping and praying that we would be able to find a bathroom there. Now, I tell you all this to say this. No one 
in that vehicle could only look out for their own interests. It was impossible. In fact, at that moment, everyone had to look for the interests of everyone else. Everyone was involved. Those who were sleeping were now wide awake. <laughs> Those who'd been trying to read with the little clip-on light, they turned off the light. It was time to sing a Christmas carol and make a funny face. And we did everything we could to help meet the needs of others. Is it not true that in our Christian life it's the same? In our life it's the same. We are traveling with people down a road. We're going someplace with these people. And I find that when I drive, sometimes I want to just get really, really focused on me and what's going on ahead of me. But there are times when there are people who are crying out, who are hurting in pain. And we need to be able to be aware of that. And the scripture is so clear. Give up just thinking about yourself. Instead, as you're traveling this road, as you're being together, look out for the interests of others. We all knew what that meant that day. Our church motto is actually loving God, loving people. Our desire as a church is to be a family that takes care of one another because God lives in us. But in order to do this, we must fight that temptation daily that the world will throw at us to think only of ourselves. And instead, we need to learn what it means to look out for the interests of others. But the Apostle Paul is just getting started in his letter, and so am I in my preaching. How? How on earth can we do this? For some of us, we are barely keeping our own heads above water. How do I find the time and the energy and even the interest to think about other people? It seems like all I can do is figure out my own life. How do I go beyond that? But Paul has an answer for us, and it's in verse 5. He says this, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Oh, pfft. why didn't you tell me sooner? Well, now that clears it up. That makes it easier. Or not. The attitude of Jesus, he was not just man when he came to the earth. He was also God. How can I possibly have the attitude like Jesus? Let's take a peek at some of the things that is expressed through this passage. What are some of those attitudes? And how could that transfer to our own lives? So the first attitude that we can see from Jesus in this scripture is chapter 2, verse 6. And it says, it's don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. Verse 6. Though he, being it's Jesus, though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Let's be clear here. Jesus is God, but when he came to us as a human being, he did not even consider equality with God his right to cling to, but he surrendered it to become man. He understood at that moment his position beneath God. Some people never figure this out. Some people always think too highly of themselves. In March of 1966, John Lennon of the Beatles made this now infamous quote, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue with that. I'm right, and I will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. Mm. 
Protests broke out in the United States. The Beatles' records were publicly burned. Press conferences were canceled and threats were made. Thus, protests spread to other countries, including Mexico, South Africa, and Spain. There were anti-Beatle demonstrations and their music was banned on radio stations. John Lennon, tragically, did not make it to 1980. But Christianity and Jesus, yeah, they're still going on. They're still going on. Don't think too highly of yourself. We need to remember what has been said. There is one God, and you are not him. <laughs> so the first attitude that Jesus shows us is this. Don't think too highly of yourself. A second attitude we should have if we're going to become more like Jesus is give up the thought that you are privileged. Give up the thought that you are privileged. Verse 7. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. You know, because life for us, let's face it, is generally pretty good. We start to believe we should enjoy special privileges, special advantages. Our cars that we drive, our homes that have heat in the winter and air conditioning in the summer. Somehow, I think that when we have this privileged attitude, it begins to seep into our, our Christian life as well. We begin to think that somehow God owes us something, that we're privileged, and he's here at our beck and call to do whatever we'd like to do. I, I've had the privilege of working with um, and talking with followers of Jesus around the world, some of them in, in some very, very poor, destitute situations. And, and what they find a privilege is to wake up every morning. They find it a privilege to open their eyes to another day that they get to serve Jesus. Unbelievable. A poor man in a village once said, I feel sorry for you Americans. You have Jesus and stuff. We have only Jesus. Let's remember that we can give up that privilege and just need to follow God. A third attitude we need to have to be like Jesus is to learn to serve others. To learn to serve others. Also from verse 7 when it says, Jesus took the humble position of a slave. Some experts translate part of verse 6 passage as saying Jesus did not take advantage of the fact that he was God. On the contrary, Jesus gave up any rights he might have had and positioned himself on the lowest rung of the societal ladder, that of being a slave, that of being a servant. And to use the words of Jesus himself, as is recorded in Mark 10.45, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, with, uh, with tragedy comes great opportunity for serving. And we've seen plenty of both of those recently. I read stories from Hurricane uh, Sandy. Stories about hundreds of firefighters who extinguished fires and saved lives. A lifeguard couple who saved up to 50 people from the floodwaters. A football coach who helped rescue people from cold, chest-deep water. An off-duty nurse who delivered a baby on the side of the road during the devastating storm. And a 47-year-old mom who helped lead people to gas and other services on her Vespa scooter. Regular people understanding that the interests of others are critically important and finding a way to serve 
in any way possible. Mother Teresa, who served the poor and the dying in Calcutta, India, was once tapped on the shoulder and a man said, Mother Teresa, I wouldn't do what you do for a million dollars. She slowly turned around and with a grin she said, Neither would I, sir. Neither would I. She understood what true serving was all about. My greatest joy in life has come through serving. But that's a message for the series later, coming up later on. So we're just going to leave it there and say an attitude we need to is to learn to serve others. A fourth attitude Jesus had, and we must also have to become more like Jesus, is to humble yourself in obedience to God. Humble yourself in obedience to God. Verse, last part is seven and then eight. When he, Jesus, appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. For all of us, death is a necessity. It's a requirement of life. But for Jesus, it was a choice. He could have jumped over the cruel torture. He could have jumped over the death on the cross and gone straight up to be at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Jesus was not forced into humility. He chose to humble himself, leading to death for our sake. The story is told of a man who was so humble that the city council decided to honor him and gave him a medal for his humility. A week after the award ceremony, the award had to be withdrawn. Much to the embarrassment of the council, the man had brashly worn the medal everywhere he went. <laughs> Writer Henry, uh, Helen Nielsen once wrote, Humility is like underwear. It's essential, but indecent if it shows. We need to humble ourselves in obedience to God. This is a powerful challenge to all of us. Are we ready to have an attitude like Jesus that asks us to quit thinking of ourselves first and to consider the interests and the needs of others? Are we ready to have an attitude like Jesus that says, I will learn to serve? An attitude that says, out of obedience, I will listen to God and do whatever it is that God is calling me to do. That is a big, big challenge for all of us. I'm really actually a, really, uh, a big believer in New Year's resolutions. I sort of look at January 1 as a do-over. It's a do-over, right? The last year is gone. I can't change any of that. But I have a whole new year ahead of me. A new opportunity. What could be possible in this year to come? And I always celebrate January 1st as a fresh start. I guarantee you that if you will have only one New Year's resolution, and that is to learn to have an attitude like Jesus, this will be a year for you like no other year you've ever had. It is a great challenge. Uh, you know, up to this point in Scripture, uh, although it's hard to accomplish, it makes sense. Of course I'm supposed to humble myself and be obedient to God. Uh, of course I'm supposed to look out for the interests of others. I get it. And, and as hard as that might be, I understand that part of the Scripture. But verses 9 to 11 are much harder to understand. This is where Jesus' attitude and Jesus' story diverges from ours. It says he humbled himself to the point of death as a criminal on the cross for our sake. Let me read 9 to 11. 
Therefore God had elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, I struggled as I was studying this passage. I, I, they tell me what to speak on and I, and I come speak. And so I was given this passage, very excited about it. But I started reading it. I go, okay, I get this, I get this, I get this, I know. And then I get to this section. I'm like, what do I do with this? What is this piece in there for? How is it that the Philippians were supposed to see this and read about Christ's exaltation how does that tie in with them? And then for me, what does that mean for me? And so I begin to read and read and read. And what I, what I begin to understand is I discovered that these verses, just this little piece, receives more attention from New Testament and scholars and theologians than any other passage in the book of Philippians. They went on to say that these verses may be included in the most hotly debated passages of the entire Bible. So, disclaimer, we're not going to unpack all that. We're not going to figure out exactly what all this means right now. But this theme of exaltation following true humility is thoroughly biblical. And it shows up in the teachings of Jesus himself. A couple quick verses. Matthew 18.4 says, So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew 23.12 but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So I think we can understand this section as a promise. That just as Jesus, our example, was obedient, and he remained faithful in his faith, he was exalted to a place with God that we call heaven. And just in the same way, if we remain steadfast in our faith, we will also be exalted to that same place. Some scholars say that this section, uh, 9 uh, to 12, may, or 11, may actually be uh, an early Christian hymn that Paul knew. He took it over. He, he did something with it. He modified it, and he placed it in here. You know, I don't know if that's true, but I'll say this. What a glorious thing to sing. Jesus is King. He is highly exalted. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May that verse, may that song be on our lips and in our hearts as we begin to go through this year, we begin to live and understand how to be more like Jesus in our attitude. Let's sing that song now.
scripture says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess if you've not given your life to Christ like I did at 16 today can be your day today can be the day that changes everything say a simple prayer just asking God to come Jesus to come into your life admitting that you haven't done everything right and now you're beginning to look for answers and you're reaching to him say that prayer talk to someone about your decision Verse 12 to uh, 18 goes on, and Paul's going to give some real uh, hands-on application to this truth that we need to reach out to others. We need to be obedient. We need to be more like Jesus. I don't want what we say here on Sunday to be lost for the rest of the week. Can we take the challenges and what we've heard here today and work right on through Monday and Tuesday and the rest of the week? Can we continue to read our Bible? Paul is telling them so many neat things and he's not going to force anyone. He's not going to encourage him. He actually starts out in 12 and he says, Dear friends, dear friends. So I ask you, dear friends, will, will you take this seriously? Will you grab this this week and go back and relook at Philippians chapter 2? Check it out. Sing a song of praise to God and then dive into 12 to 18 and say, God, what do you have for me? What is it you need me to do? For you. Let me pray. God, we are blessed. The fact that we're here today tells us that, that we are blessed. Thank you, Lord, for being there for us, for dying for us, for the new life that we can have in you. Lord, I pray for anyone who does not know you, that they would give their life to you now. They would desire to live differently. And for each one of us, that we would be serious about this, and we would look at these words, and we'd, we'd find out how to view you and to be more like you in our attitude. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.